sometimes the internet is mean. Like you ask us just an innocent question, and you know people have the hateful comments. Like you shouldn't be asking such a stupid question. Like what's wrong with you? And so I put out a question like, hey, where's the best place to invest in a, a short-term rental? I'm, I'm brand new. It's, it's something I'm thinking about diving in. And it was weird because like uh, eight out of ten people were telling me like they were giving me their their top three or their top five, but. A lot of people kept telling me about the uh, Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, and I'm like, "What the hell is that? I don't know where idea what that is." Uh, but you know, enough people were telling you about it, um, so then. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Alex Savio, who is a investor in short-term rentals, hotels, and beyond. So we're going to talk about it because he's still working his job in medical. And I think this is actually a really important point. If you're listening and you're working a job, this is not a bad thing, right? I mean, you could be making great income from your job while you're investing. So we're going to talk about doing both at the same time, how you can build true wealth. Alex, thanks for so much for coming on the show. Take us into it, man. Like, What got the bug in you to, to do some real estate? Matt, thank you for having me on. Yeah, uh, really interesting story. I wish I had a better story than what the gurus tell you where they, you know, go from zero to 100 units in like uh, a year or something crazy. But, you know, I kind of went through the ringer in the early 2000s to get to where I, I am now. Uh, new early on, had some inspiration from my grandparents who invested in real estate uh, in the early or early 80s here in like the Los Angeles area, made some decent money. Um, and it's kind of weird, like, you know, Filipino grandparents, they steer you into the medical field because there's that security with a nice paying job and benefits. Uh, but I was, I think one of the only ones in the family that got the itch. I mean, they had 12 kids and uh, a lot of grandkids and not too many of us got into real estate, but somehow it appealed to me. Yeah. So I started buying my first uh, home in 2004 and it went up like a hundred thousand dollars in the first year. And I was like, hmm, there's something to this. And I think I was making about $45,000 a year as a new grad in healthcare. And I said, there's something to this. I pr probably should pursue it. So made every mistake in the book, but I kept going on with it. So, so your first purchase is in 2004, 19 mm -hmm. years later, you're still at it, right? As well <laughs> as in uh, healthcare. So tell us about the journey, like, like high level overview. Yeah, you bought my first primary home. Like I said, it went up like crazy. Um, uh, wound up buying a brand new home in 2005 when I sold it. Uh, and then I was like, hmm, I should have taken this money and invested. Uh, started doing some uh, real estate courses. Back then it was Carlton Sheets because yeah. I was working night shift. And he was like playing his infomercial like every single night, you know, as I'm taking care of patients. I was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. So I learned about the 1% rule. Uh, and the 1% rule didn't apply here in Southern California, or at least I <laughs> sure. didn't think it did. Yeah. Uh, so I started buying a bunch of long-term rentals out of state, um, multiple states, like just over time, I'd buy one or two here every year. Uh, 2008 hit greatly affected me because I decided to try to do something in state here in California and it was negative cash flowing like crazy. And before I knew it, I owed way more than what it was worth eventually just walked away from that home, had a uh, foreclosure and eventually filed for bankruptcy, kind of like everyone else had to learn the hard way. But I knew at the end of the day, I wish these things would have cash flowed better. Mm. And so my strategy 
eventually, and I knew that when I got back into real estate, I took like a little hiatus there. Um, but I was able to keep a lot of the long-term rentals. Uh, the banks didn't want them. They looked at those rentals. They're like, these rentals are crap. I don't want anything to do with these. Um, luckily I, I said, you know what, let me just keep them. Let me just endure yeah. the hard times. So I kept most of my long-term rentals. Even with even um, the bankruptcy. Right. Yeah. Even through the bankruptcy and just, you know, um, I think real estate's extremely forgiving. Um, you know, you could be an awful investor just as long as you hold on to it over time you're going to be okay because my tenants were slowly paying down my mortgage. Uh, interest rates went down. I got a little bit better at finding better insurance uh, that was a little bit more affordable. Um, and then rents would go up. So here I had this delta of what the house was worth now. These homes I was buying for, I don't know, $100,000 were worth $200,000. wasn't like, you know, um, killing it or anything, but it was just nice, slow and steady. And then here I was owing $60,000 or $50,000. So, and there was still cash flowing like two, $300 at that point. And eventually I said, you know, during the pandemic, something had to happen. I, I'm a respiratory therapist. So we were in the front line of the front line of COVID. I know we make light of it now, but we didn't know where the hell we were going no, when we we're in the sure. middle of it. Right. It was really scary for us. And I said, um, I need to do something to, uh, like, this can't be life, like working like this with uh, you know, two, three, four times uh, workload that what we, what we normally were used to, um, that couldn't be life. And a lot of us in healthcare were burnt out before COVID. COVID just exacerbated a lot of it. And so, um, yeah, that was difficult. And eventually I wanted to scale up my portfolio and uh, went into short-term rentals and saw the power of short-term rentals with the cash flow. And I went all in on short-term rentals. Like I started selling all of my long-term rentals um, and that's where my portfolio is today. Awesome. Yeah, and, and coming back to the COVID situation, so essentially you obviously, like you said, you were working hard and then it doubled or tripled the workload. And so now your body is weaker because you're working two to three times and you're being exposed. Like how much of it was an exposure thing that was driving you to real estate? And how much of it was an overworking thing? I guess both, um, you know, like I was working at the hospital. I mean, I, I can't talk to a lot of specifics about certain situations, uh, but I know um, like I was dealing with healthcare workers that were getting sick uh, and then they, they were dying. Right. And then their family members were dying. So that was an exposure part. Like, oh man, what if this happens to all of us? And this was pre-vaccine, uh, whether you know, you're for it or whatever. Right. I mean, that's how we felt in the hospital. Yeah. We couldn't wait till that vaccine came out. Um, cause we definitely did see a drop after. Um, and then my wife, who's also a respiratory therapist, I was thinking, you know what, like one of us might get sick from this and who knows what the long-term complications are going to be. <laughs> right. Um, and then part of that too, like I said, um, you start looking at your job. Um, um, some employers respect their employees better and treat their employees better than others. Um, and I started looking at things a little different. I've been doing this 21 years now. And then at a certain point, I think all of us, you know, um, we still love our jobs, but at a certain point you kind of fall out of it a little bit slowly over time. So that's kind of where I was getting to. So you got a number of rentals, you know, you've got some in Alabama, Tennessee, you've got this, this huge apartment complex. What's the line for you where, you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be full time. It's a time issue. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely still enjoy what I do. Like my specialty is working with babies and pediatrics. Um, 
And it's 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 easy money for me, Matt. I, you know, I I think I I I'm very good at what I do. At least that's what I think. Um, the job is just you know a few minutes from home. We have free medical and benefits. Um, the, the question is, are you um, is it taking away from your ability to earn more money or 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 another another passion? And so my other passion is helping other healthcare professionals uh, kind of create their own financial uh, uh, freedom. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I, I get asked that question all the time. Uh, but right now it's still fairly easy for me to work. Uh, eventually when that, uh, line is crossed, um, it, it winds up being a time like, Hey, I'm calling in sick all the time. Or, you know, what I, I, I'm trying to switch shifts with people just because I need a, to be at these events. I think that's the point and, and I'm getting close there. So, well, and I mean, given that your desire is to educate the health professionals on, financial freedom and investing. I mean, your target audience is who you work with, right? So if you quit the job, then you lose access. So right. in some sense, I mean, obviously you're not there to, you know, prospect all day, but at the same point, right. I mean, people will probably trust you because of the line of work you're in. Yeah, right, right. And I always tell people like whatever work you're in, um, create a community, uh, like let's say you're engineers or you're, you know, IT specialists or whatever like that. That's been huge for my growth. Like I wanted to really help other healthcare professionals. So I created a Facebook group called Healthcare Professionals Investing in Real Estate. So I think there, like there's this A to B connection between the other investor and you because they see themselves in you. Um, so whatever profession you are in, um, just go out there with the thought that you're just going to go out there and help as many people as possible without ever expecting anything in return. And it's kind of crazy how the world works because you'll see your growth just uh, take off. So you are obviously in the short-term rental space, luxury. How has the luxury short-term rental space fared for you the last 90 days? Has it been down? Has it been flat? Has it been up? Well, I, I would tell you that um, we definitely had a COVID bump. Right. Um, I, I want to say probably 20 to 25 percent COVID. But like, remember, they're giving stimulus checks out and people were spending them and we were happily taking them. Right. Um, yeah. But th there's definitely a little bit of a, a, a drag, but it's still good. Right. Like my best property uh, profit being like seven thousand dollars a month uh, the first year. Uh, and it's probably closer to five thousand dollars a month on that one property. So it's still really good. I know people talk about it, like there's this Airbnb bust, but the numbers are still awesome. And not only that, there's awesome tax benefits that come along with it to where I'm not paying anything in taxes anymore. So. Yeah. And, and so obviously you bought these really well, right? Cause I think one of the big problems for a lot of people is, you know, after the, you know, COVID bump up on prices in general, they bought these things, solely based on these rents. And so they, they're getting them probably at a significantly different deal than you bought them at. Yes. Right. And the interest rate hasn't helped out at all. And these prices are not coming down. I mean, they might come down a little bit. Uh, we're definitely not like bidding each other up like where we were before. You're like, you know, like a $450,000 home goes to four five fifty or something insane with, you know, drops in contingencies or whatever. That's definitely not happening anymore. The thing we have to do now is just be very extremely selective. Like the property has to have an amazing view or there has to be like a good like thesis behind it. Like, you know, this property will always book because it has water views. 
or, you know, it's very Instagrammable. Like we definitely are working harder than we were before. Because back then you could have put anything out and it would have gotten booked. Now we're having to compete against each other. So, yeah. So when you're buying, do you care much if you're buying below market value or market value, or is it literally just the story of the property? Uh, for me, it's the story of the property. I know a lot of people that try to find market value. For me, it's about timing. Like I'm trying to um, get cash flowing right away. Because if I'm buying below market, a lot of times it's needing a lot of work. And that's taking like I have a beach property and it took five months worth of, you know, uh, fixing up. And that whole time I'm not cash flowing anything. And for me, I like ease of money and, and, and the velocity of it. So a lot of my properties I was buying, like I have three in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Every single one was brand new, like brand new furniture, never slept on beds, uh, brand new TVs with the plastic still on them. Even all the appliances still have the warranty tags on them. Um, for peace of mind, for being someone that self-manages short-term rentals from two to 2,000 miles away, I like that aspect of it, you know, versus buying something below market. Um, you know, I the stuff that I was seeing below market, they were going to need a lot more work and I just wasn't ready to go that route. Which, I mean, really good to know too. Like, I mean, you have to be ready for that kind of work if you're going to do that kind of work because it, I mean, it's a management process for sure. So you're buying these buildings, the buildings are new, the furniture's new, everything's solid. What What other criteria do you have? For purchase uh it's a people business and that's real estate it's all a people business if you don't have people you are not successful like you need the right realtor that is kind of guiding you through you need the right lender um but most importantly like once you um uh uh, get acquire the property. You need the right people because you're going to be self managing it. I would th I would say the cleaner is like eighty percent of it. Right. Because your cleaner is your eyes and ears. Like, do you have a good relationship with a cleaner? I have a buddy who invested in Montana and he told me there's like four cleaners in town and, and he's thinking about firing the one that he's with now. I'm like, no, dude, like they, you know, they all talk one, to one another. They're probably all cousins <laughs> and they're, you know, you, you just you might burn your bridges. So. I don't like putting myself in that situation. So I try to invest in areas that have already had like, a, a, it's very established. Like yeah. they have all the infrastructure in place. So. so let's talk about having a job and investing. Like, how does that mm -hmm. help? Like, is it peace of mind? Like, what are the pros? What are the cons of having a job and investing at the same time? Uh, well, the pros is the loans. Like it's really easy to buy these uh, single family homes because you already have a nice steady W-2 job. So it's really easy to qualify. You get better interest rates versus going to like a DSCR. Um, as far as a con, um, I mean, uh, right away, my wife was able to retire from her W-2 job. So she was able to like handle a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. And then eventually when we scaled up, we started hiring virtual assistants to also help us with the day-to-day -day operations. So, you know, um, there's definitely going to be awkward moments when you have your short-term rentals. Uh, there's definitely, everyone always asks me about the plumbing issues. What happens if the, you know, the, the toilet like backs up? Well, you deal with it. You know, like at a, there's there's certain points where you just can't have a VA deal with all that stuff or, you know, it, it's uh, like my wife does handle a lot of this stuff uh, while I'm at work. But, you know, there are definitely times where we just need to talk this through. Uh, and so that's the con. Um, 
to be honest with you, I, I, uh, I am 2000 miles away, but I kind of wish I was a little bit closer. I would, I would definitely do a lot more, but the fact that it's far away, it allows me to be in the CEO seat because now I have to delegate. I have to find the right people uh, because I'm a big DIY guy. I tend to fix everything on my own, but here I'm forced to be the CEO. And I think that's helped me with my growth. If I was there in the weeds every single day, I'd probably hate it. <laughs> you know, like uh, like if the guests trashed the place, I'd be in there trying to fix everything and, and be like, man, this kind of sucks. But now like being uh, at a distance, I'm able to delegate and uh, I'm able to grow even more. And it also probably contributes to why you want properties that are ready to go um, because, you know, it minimizes yes. the management. How, how did you choose Tennessee and Alabama? It's crazy, right? I, I'm from Southern California, and I kind of just put out a rookie question on this uh, platform called Bigger Pockets. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard about it. And sometimes the internet is mean like you ask us just an innocent question and you know people have the hateful comments like you shouldn't be asking such a stupid question like what's wrong with you and so i put out a question like hey where's the best place to invest in a, a short-term rental I'm, I'm brand new it's it's something i'm thinking about diving in and it was weird because like uh eight out of ten people were telling me like they were giving me their their top three or their top five but a lot of people kept telling me about the uh, smoky mounds of tennessee and I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't know where idea what that is. Uh, but you know, enough people were telling you about it. Um, so then I started doing some research and then I started like um, jumping on Zoom calls because Zoom was taking off during the pandemic. This is when I bought it. Uh, and so I started uh, just uh, virtually meeting people online and uh, they were telling me about the market and how much money they were making and how much you know, uh, they were paying for their properties and what all the headaches were. So that's kind of how I found uh, uh, Eastern Tennessee. Um, Alabama, I had no idea Alabama had a beach, right? <laughs> so uh, at one point in my life, I always wanted a beach property. I think it was a bucket list and never thought I'd own anything on the water or anything with a view or uh, had no idea how people were affording uh, or buying these properties. But I just always wanted a beach home. And then I kind of grew my investor uh, friend list, as you could call it. Uh, and a lot of them were in Gulf Shores, Alabama. So I said, hmm, okay, uh, let me try that out. So uh, a couple of years ago, I jumped into that market. So Awesome. And, and prices there were like 100,000, 200,000 each? No, I mean, no, I mean, I'm buying these a little bit more luxury, right? Anywhere yeah. from... Um, six, I think 629 was the one that needed more work. Um, yeah. that needed about $50,000. And then the, uh, another one I bought for, uh, 700,000. Okay. So you're buying some upper upper end over there. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like the higher end feel, um, um, little bit better clientele. Um, and for tax purposes, um, uh, was great because I was doing, you know, a cost segregation analysis on them. Uh, so the higher the property, the, the more, uh, uh, deductions. I still have that high paying W2 job. So like there was a, definitely a calculation on my end. So now, and then with that, obviously you're probably planning the whole for the long term to avoid recapture and those type of things. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I've done 1031 exchanges. That's definitely something on my mind, like whether I just uh, 1031 or, um, you know, maybe just keep it. 
who knows? I mean, these things are cash flowing like crazy, but um, started buying hotels now. Um, I like that a lot better. I don't know. I, I might dabble in, 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 in that. And who knows if I want to convert my portfolio into all hotels. So then just do Monopoly, right? I had right. like these, these bad <laughs> right. properties on Baltic and now I bought some Broadway properties and now I'm trading them up into uh, red yeah. hotels. Yeah. So, yeah. So would you say that hotels for you are kind of like multifamily is to the single family space? I think so, but it's a lot more work, right? Um, yeah. you, you need staff and all of that. Um, cap rates are higher in the hotel space. Um, but, um, the income potential can be greater, but it's just going to be a lot more work. Um, I think they get sued a lot more. That's the one thing um, because guests will go in there all the time, slip, trip, and fall. Uh, we've kind of identified a market that which we really like for growth. Um, but yeah, we, we bought a property for $3.6 million, that 76 unit. And the uh, uh, appraisal report came back at $6.5 million. Whoa. And we're like, that's why I like hotels better. I was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and the wow. one thing is, yeah. And I mean, it's just appraised like multifamily where if I could uh, boost up the net operating income, maybe control expenses. If the area is growing uh, really well, maybe the cap rate might go down a little bit who knows um versus the single family homes you could only make you know the home look so nice it's going to sell for whatever the comparable values are next door uh so like your true wealth uh growth isn't gonna happen i mean you could get very you could come be, become very wealthy with these single families but look at this hotel i mean we got three million bucks right off the bat in equity uh with our business plan um we think it's going to be worth like $8.5 million uh, in a couple of years. Yeah, if not now, we actually get the business running. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause when we bought it, we didn't even know that 16 units were down. I'm like, who the hell has down units because of the leaks, you know, you got to get this thing booked up. Uh, so yeah. within two weeks we fixed uh, 13 of the leaks. And so our revenue went from $1.1 million, what it was generating. And we're projecting about $1.4 million now. Incredible. So right. you see these numbers and you're like, wait a second. Now it's time to start shifting selling portfolios, maybe 1031 exchanging over into to hotels. Like what's your like end game? Oh, I wish I knew. That's an extremely good question. I tend to jump into things and figure things out later. Um, I don't know what that is, Matt. That's an extremely good question. I ask that all the time. I definitely could end right now, right? The short-term rental portfolio is cash flowing about yeah. on average $20,000 a month. Uh, let's yeah. say even if it goes down $15,000 a month, um, nothing wrong with living off that the rest of your life and just calling right. it a day, right? But the thing is life is too short. And I see people doing big things and I do get imposter syndrome like everyone else. And I'm like, you know what, let's just go for it. Life is too short. We've uh, You have all this knowledge. Why not go for it and see where it takes you? So that's kind of where I'm going. Um, yeah, I guess that's a short answer. I don't. I really don't know, but I'm just going to keep hustling and getting as many of these properties, just as long as I'm still enjoying it. If it becomes a job, I don't want another job, man. <laughs> you 100%. Know? Yeah, I mean, so, we get, we're in this for the freedom, not necessarily just for all the money. Um, all the, right. the money is a good part of it. So, so not talking about the end game. What is your goal for the next twelve to eighteen months? Uh, so, uh, yeah, the goal is about. 
40 million dollars worth of properties because i started a fund and we're raising about 10 million bucks so we think we're going to have to buy about six or seven hotels or throw in a few short-term rentals there um so that's the end goal and i'm going to be crazy busy within the next two years so amazing so so this is a fund specifically to invest in hotels Yes, hotels and short-term rentals. Because we love the the group I'm with. We love the hospitality aspect of it. So that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Incredible, Alex, man. Thanks for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. I appreciate your service in the medical space, particularly throughout the COVID. Thanks, man, for being out there saving lives. Um, and for those of you out there listening, write down something you learned from today, whether it's short-term rentals, how to do it, how to maybe transition to hotels. I mean, the deal he gave us, bought for 3.6, appraised, or 6.3, I think if I got those numbers right, that's 6.5. 6.5, mm -hmm. I was off by 200,000. 200,000. <laughs> right? So this is incredible, guys. So, so maybe if you haven't thought about short-term rentals or hotels to be a part of your real estate investing portfolio, this might be a good episode to listen to again. Share it with somebody who knows they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.